and your friends' ships. <laughs> it's 7 a.m. here. Come on. Hello, and welcome to Simply Faithful, a place for Christian conversations without the hype. We're here to discuss life, faith, and ministry with each other and with other interesting people. Our desire is to save you a spot at the table. Here at Simply Faithful, we're hoping to begin conversations about Christianity that continue in your friendships and in your lives. This week, are you and I the church? Is it an institution? Who or what is the church? Hello again. My name is Eric Tunges. I am a pastor at Kishwaukee Community EPC in Illinois. My name is Gray. I am lead pastor of New Valley Church in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. This week, there is a tension in how people think about and talk about the church. Some people want to view it as an institution. They view it as a building or bureaucracy, this thing that's run by trained and ordained professionals. Other people push back by responding, no, we are the church, you and I, it's just the people living their lives that are the church. Today, we're going to try to work through that tension, discussing how both sides of that are really important. And the way we're going to do that is by using two terms. So Gray, I'd like us to maybe start by just defining these two terms, and they have roots way back in history. But the, the ones that I'm going to use probably were popularized by this theologian named Abraham Kuyper. And those terms are saying that we can talk about the church as both an organism and an organization. So you just want to talk through what those mean first? People have talked about this in a lot of different ways, as you mentioned. But I think what Kuyper meant by uh, organism and uh, organization is really just is a couple of things. So the church as an organism is referring to this idea that in Scripture we see body language. So the church is described as a people group, as a body. The emphasis in a lot of Scriptures is not that it's this institution so much as it is the people of God. And so the people of God have existed for all biblical history. It's, it's, organ, it's an organism. It is a living, breathing thing rather than a... 501c3 kind of thing. On the other hand, we make a distinction now that there is an organization called the church. And also in scripture, you see, particularly in Paul's letters, you can see him organizing the church around principles, around leadership structures, and also just this idea that we need to put more feet onto this uh, as an organization. And so I think the angle that we're going to be taking today is that both of these things are important, but there is a good reason to have a distinction between the two. Would you add anything to that? No, other than to emphasize maybe that the life of the organism is spiritual life for mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot of the people that talk about it. What they particularly mean is the sort of spiritual life and then spiritual communion that we have as believers, whereas the organization is something that, while it is serving the spiritual, is visible and has its kind of feet more firmly planted in that visible physical space. Let's start with, you already said that they're both important, but that's maybe the first starting point, because I think that 
a lot of the errors people fall into is that they fail to recognize the importance of one side or the other. So do you want to talk a little bit about why each of those things is important and why we shouldn't just make it one or just make it the other? You know, the way that I hear it most often, uh, honestly, most often people are excited about the church as an organism rather than as as an organization. And maybe we can talk for a minute about the the pitfalls on either side of that. Um, but I'll just say, in general, I already hinted at it. It's hard to take the Bible seriously and not have both of these things in view. That's kind of the starting point. But in practical reality, a lot of people prefer kind of one or the other, or they think that one or the other is more important. And some of that's personality driven. Some of that is situational. Some of it's history. And uh, so it's really important that we distinguish between the two, but important that we that we emphasize that both are important. It's worth noting that while it's true today that the organism is the thing that most people naturally prefer or want to focus on, if you lived in medieval Catholicism or Victorian era Anglicanism or sometime like that, a lot of people instinctively thought of the organizational elements of the church as really the central ones and were suspicious of spiritual life outside of that. And so some of that is probably just a marker of the time that we live in today. It might be helpful to just kind of describe what we mean when we say when people say the organism is more important. What are the, I mean, the kinds of things that people are saying? They might say the church is the people, not a building. A lot of it rests in the rhetoric of you guys are the church. This is not the church. And again, in one real sense, it's true. But maybe we should just name the reason that we say the organizational element is also a big part of scripture. It's not because there is in scripture a sense of a really big developed church organization, but because there are kind of core elements that transcend the individual that are used to structure the church, particularly in the New Testament. It's that there are elders and deacons that are appointed in the churches and have a sort of authority to constitute the church. And the fact that the New Testament church does seem to be gathered in certain places in a way that then shapes their identity, which is why in many of the New Testament letters, you will see them addressed to the church in so-and-so's house or the church in this other person's house, as you see these kind of local communities forming that have local leadership and a connection with each other. So, So we've kind of gestured in that direction. So let's ask the question, if in our day we prefer the organism side And I'll make the argument in just a minute why, in some sense, the organism is the most important of the two. But why is the organization important? The organization is is really important because without it, the organism wouldn't wouldn't really exist. And I think that's Paul's point when he's saying when he's going and making all these churches and appointing leaders. It's clear that he wants to set up some organizations so that the church can be the church. And the same would be true like of uh, if you think about in the Old Testament, the story of Moses and Jethro. Moses is taking care of all these people. He's the shepherd of all of Israel and everybody's coming to him and he's getting worn out. And his father-in-law Jethro says to him, you know, this is not a good thing. You you need the organization. You need to appoint godly men to to help you carry some of this burden. And so I think the starting point would be that that we just need uh, some organization just on a very pragmatic level and the way that the Lord even created the world 
was to exist organizationally. You see it everywhere to support the people of the church. So then the flip side of that is what is the danger if we let that organization that is good in that basic sense of helping the church be the church, what's the danger if we turn that organization into the central focus and lose the important sense of it being a living organism? Yeah. And the, we should say this does happen. It probably happens more than the opposite. Maybe. At least it happens more visibly, but part of that might just be because when the opposite error is committed, you don't get big visible institutions that people can point to. <laughs> so true. Yes. Okay. So on a visible level, it definitely happens. And you see this when, when there's a focus on the organization. I already mentioned it, like the church is a 501c3, you know, a powerful one. There can be a sense in which the church can fall into a focus on leadership that is much more driven by like a corporate kind of mentality, like a business mentality. And so uh, you see churches basically looking indistinguishable from, you know, other kind of organizations. Now, on the one hand, there's kind of this church as an organization. It, it looks very much like the mega church of our day, which, you know, the more negative side of it, not that, not that you're evil if you're a mega church. There's, there's kind of an attractional model where, uh, you know, you have people wanting to come to something because it is a great organization. It is well, it's a well-oiled machine. And um, because people want that, then churches say, well, that's what, that's what the church should be. And therefore, let's do it to the best of our ability. So they make these organizations that have huge budgets and ministries. And I think people are right when it comes to those kinds of things to say, time out, are we doing what was intended in Scripture? Are we doing the Great Commission? So that's kind of the attractional side of it. The other side of it, more in the liturgical world, there can be a, a focus on, on clericalism. So there can be this idea that the church should just be this historic institution that has these lofty leaders, and the church should just do what it should do and organize itself um, in this way because it needs to have an officialness to it. And again, a lot of people say, time out. That's not a good thing. Like we should be equipping everybody to to be to be the church and not just have these lofty leaders. Uh, so those are some of the dangers that come to my mind when when the, when the organization is kind of in view at the loss of an organism. Yeah, I do think there's a real sense in which, even though we want to say both are important, the organism is the more central thing. Some some would disagree with you on that, but yes, because it's the locus of spiritual life for the church. And if you don't have the organism, then you don't have a church. Whereas if you don't have the organization, you have a deeply deficient church and one that may well not last particularly long. But in some basic way, you would respond to that by saying you need to organize. Whereas if there's no spiritual life, I think what you would say instead is like, you need to become a Christian. You need to become Christians, right? You need, you need Jesus. So one of the common illustrations that gets used to try to talk about this, this is totally not original to us, is the trellis and the vine. Just to say, if you're growing grapes, you need a trellis for the vines to grow on. And if you don't have a trellis, the vines are not going to be particularly fruitful and they might well become blighted and just die. It's not good for the vines to not have a thing to grow up on. And so that organizational part, which is the trellis, is really necessary But it's also true that if you just go into a 
dirt field and stick a bunch of trellises in the ground and claim to be growing fruit that you're not, you've missed the point of this thing. I, I guess, yeah, fruit is possible without the trellis, but fruit is not possible without the vine. But it's very deficient fruit. It is. The potential for fruitfulness is really lacking. You, I mean, you can make this argument based on just the biblical terms itself, like being the body. That is what it is at its, at its essence. The church is a body, and therefore it is a living organism. <laughs> it, you know, that's the metaphor that's used there. Right. That said, let's talk a little bit about, we've said that it's the case, but what are the concrete ways that the organization can really help the organism grow? You mentioned there's that vision like in Ephesians 4 that the organizational church exists in order to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of ministry then in the world. But what does it look like? What are the good ways that the organizational church can be serving the spiritual life of the church as an organism? I mean, I, the things that come to my mind are there's just kind of an entropy to, I mean, leadership is important. Just saying these are the things that we're doing and these are the things that we're not doing. By by doing that, you help people make a decision towards how they're going to organize their lives. And so I, I think that's important. I think that's why God gave us leaders to to say these are the organizational things. For instance, some of those things would be gathered worship. You know, we believe that it's important to have a structure to that so that people know when it is. They they know they generally what to expect from it. They know that they can come and hear about other ministries that are going to happen during the life of the church during the week. And you really, as an organization, you're focused on how do we make those things easy for people, easy on-ramps for people to be a part of. And and people grow when they participate in those things. Right. Another piece that I think of often as I seek to minister is that there is a sense in which one of the things that I can do as a part, we're both pastors. So while we are both part of the organism of the church and seeking to live as just a part of that body, we also have a role within the organizational elements of the church. I think part of what I think about my role as being is of connecting this local manifestation of the organism to the much larger organism of the church throughout space and throughout time. And so one of the dangers is that people say, well, I don't need this institutional thing. I can just be a part of the the body in a natural way. What ends up happening is that they're not actually very connected to the body at all. And they like go to Starbucks and read their Bible. And at most, maybe there's like two or three other Christians in their lives that are able to speak into it. And so both in terms of connecting them to the wisdom and accumulated study and understanding of scripture that has happened in the last 2000 years of the church and in terms of helping people that would not otherwise be connected to each other in a local church where we gather in terms of like I'm a part of a denomination in terms of other local churches that we are connected with that I can help people actually be part of a bigger organism and experience that spiritual life in a deeper and fuller way. There's also the big philosophical question of if you didn't Instagram that moment at Starbucks, did it actually happen? <laughs> you know, we, the world may never know. It's one of those unanswerable questions. And at least we know, you know, that that church is happening on Sunday at 9 a.m. At our case, <laughs> we should talk about too, kind of more clearly. What are the dangers of doing the organism side without having a sense of the organization. We've already named some of them, but what are some of the other dangers? Yeah, I think the biggest one is what you mentioned, the fact that people will not have 
these kinds of tracks to grow on the the trellis and therefore what ends up happening in practice is that the faith grows weak because it's not encouraged from other people or it's not encouraged by some kind of structure that's the that's the biggest one but i think also it just it lends itself to a negative criticism of the church and church leadership oftentimes so this is where i see it the most often is someone will say the church shouldn't be shouldn't be focused on these things. And in their mind, the church is this, this kind of romantic notion of, of individual like service and being together in homes. And uh, that can really lead to a bitterness when it comes to some of the structural sides. I mean, talking about pragmatic and practical things uh, is really important. So I always have this mixed response when somebody says, you know, after a, maybe we have a congregational meeting, it's like, okay, well, glad we got that done. But, you know, the church is really the people. The church isn't these four walls, uh, this building that we're in. And as we've said, the answer to that is correct. That's true. The church can and does exist outside of four walls. It can and does exist outside of a leadership structure. But what I sense in, in somebody's response in that is, is this this kind of anti-leadership, anti-matter sometimes, as if these things don't, God isn't concerned with a building or God isn't concerned with how we uh, organize ourselves. And he is. He loves every detail of our gatherings. I think those are the big things. The trellis gives people the ways of actually engaging with things. And also it, it prevents us from having just this perspective of it's just me and it's just my perspective. So that's kind of the thing in theory, looking at both sides and some of the dangers. But part of why I think you and I are both interested in this discussion is because we feel like once you name and recognize that both of those things are important and we need both of them and we need to make sure we're living as a church that honors both of those parts there's a number of practical struggles that we have that you and I sometimes even notice people having that can really be helped by naming the way those two things fit together. And so do you want to maybe pick one and then I can pick one and we can just talk about what a few of those practical outworkings of the organization and organism divide is? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because I see it all the time. One, one of the ones that I see very often is just like, how does a church decide what it's going to focus on? We we mentioned this even in our last episode a little bit. It's like there are 900 things that the church could faithfully do. And sometimes in, in hype-based kind of Christianity, we say like, the church has to do this. You know, this is the missing element. This is the thing that we've missed out on. And we said last week, no, I mean, that's not the case. You know, there's lots of things that the church is called to do. And there's there's kind of a an anxiety that comes from picking one or the other. What this allows us to do, this kind of tension of the organism and the organization, allows us to discern a decision-making process on what we're actually going to focus on. And here's what I mean. First, you look at the organism. Who are the people that God has brought here? If you've got this person and this person and they have this skill and this interest, you can make some ministry decisions and say, hey, we have... We're right next to a homeless shelter, and there's people that are passionate about this. And the church can be the church as an organism with those people because we're right here, and you can kind of make those decisions that way. On the other hand, you can also uh, make organizational-type decisions and saying, here's where the leadership is gifted, and here's where we are 
uh, located in. And here are, the, here are the, the things that we can do because we can organize ourselves around this and it'll be easiest if we follow this rather than that. So I think of like decision making. A church can't do every kind of ministry in the world, but bringing in some of that tension of organization versus uh, organism kind of helps make some of those discernments easier. Right. One of the biggest challenges that I notice is that even though people prefer to think of the church as an organism instinctively, when they think about what ministries the church is doing, they almost want it to have a clear kind of organizational warrant. Whereas for me, as someone who regularly feels the tension of saying, we, as a not huge local church, we can only institutionally be doing a few things at a time. When someone will come to me and say, like, I really think we need to be involved in this, my response is often to say, that sounds great. You go engage with this. I will give you whatever resources I can. You know, we'll, we'll announce it. I'll chat with some people and see if they would help you out. I'll connect you to some people. But you are the church. Go do this ministry. And then I will provide you the sort of organizational support that the organizational church can do. But... Many of those things are not things that I and the elders at our church are going to start a program to do. And I think recognizing that fact helps you get a sense of within the structure of our organization, we can help and encourage those people to do that. But it's going to be up to those people on some level to really be the church as an organism in doing some of those ministries. What do you what do you say when somebody pushes back on that and they're like, no, no, I don't want to to do it, I just think that the church needs to be involved with it. What, what, would you, what would you say to that person? Well, so I want to honor that to some extent. Some part of my heart sinfully just wants to roll my eyes at them and say, <laughs> oh, it would be really convenient if some other person did this hard thing so that then you could feel like you were part of the organization that was doing it. But while that is sometimes true, often what that arises from is a real sense of like, this is important. I don't have the time to invest in it personally, but I care about this thing. And in some ways I want to honor that desire that people have. But what I would still say is then, well, let's talk about who some people maybe are. And maybe you have some conversations with people about how this is important, or you see if somebody else is passionate about it and you encourage them in that passion. There's ways of looking for that and building people up. But the problem at the end of the day is that if what they mean is to say, well, I'm not interested in like going and helping the poor. I know like individual member of this church is interested in going and helping the poor, but I really want the church to be going and helping the poor. Then the answer is kind of, well, that's not going to happen without the organism being engaged in that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, another area that I think of is in the area of of making disciples and how do you do that? How do you equip people to be the church? And there's there's kind of a tension between as we've been describing it the trellis and the vine. There's do we set out a culture where there's like there's this this definite structure where you have to do this this and this and this is the way that we do discipleship and it's this big organizational thing and then it, you know you train people and then it trains other people and then other people train other people and it just makes this huge thing there's something really beautiful about that something good about that and there is also something just very organizational about that and people will res- respond back and say hey that's not the way that Jesus did it i mean he just you know he lived with people he was there with them for 3 years and he shared his life and so the, more of the organism side, the, the organic kind of approach to discipleship, 
Both are important. You have to always be asking the question, is, is our, our, our organic ministries, are they supported by some kind of structure that helps us move it along? At the same time, has the structure become the main thing? And that's just something I think all leaders wrestle with is how do we, how do we make disciples? It's both organism and organization. So I think that Jesus is a good example of that in some ways, even though you're right that a lot of people portray him that way, in that there is a real tension in his ministry, because what you notice in discipleship is that while he does just live among the disciples, he also has a structure that he clearly puts in place. So he calls 12 guys that are his kind of core group of his disciples that he ministers to. Then we have, although not a lot of details about them, apparently there's this 72, this group of you know disciples that get sent out to do ministry by Jesus that it seems to include the 12. And then you have other people that kind of gather and are just exposed to him in terms of his teaching and broader ministry. And you see him do things like model for them good behaviors and teach them true doctrine and give them opportunities to get practical experience. So all of that is sort of organizationally sensible. Absolutely. But what's also true is that Jesus does it in a way that recognizes their fullness of humanity and is not clearly or simplistically programmatic. So he deals with the disciples differently based on their different struggles, and he does kind of just live life around them rather than simply having them sort of enroll in the Jesus course where they <laughs> they get their 100 hours of training or whatever before they go do ministry. The Jesus master course. <laughs> so you can see both of those elements at play in a healthy way. All right, so I think we can leave that there. We're going to transition then for our last couple of minutes together, as we do every time we meet, to talking about what's good. What is some true or good or beautiful thing in the world that has nothing to do with the topic we've discussed, that has been blessing you, or that you have just been enjoying? And so, Gray, I'm going to let you go first. I've discovered a new musical form. It's called the Compact Disc. It's a CD. Is this the new hipster thing? kidding well i'm returning as many have to some physical media i know i'm aware that the compact desk has been around for several decades in my uh, truck my auxiliary player has been out for a long time and i got it fixed and then it broke again and so i've been unable to play spotify while i'm driving around so instead of getting it fixed again i just decided to embrace the old physical media again got out the cds and um I'll, I'll highlight one in particular that I just bought yesterday, actually, from a used CD shop that we have here in Phoenix. It is this album that just came out a couple months ago called Secret Weapon by Joe Shornico. Joe Shornico. Do you know who this is? Have you ever heard of this person? No, I've not heard of this. She is uh, this incredible singer and... She's done a number of different things. She played some piano parts on several of the national records. And she's Australian. And for the most part, she's toured with a band called Phosphorescent, uh, which is a pretty good band. But I actually really love this album even more. So her name is Joe Shornico. And uh, her, her album is very quiet and almost like really mild electronic pop songs, but very slow. And uh, it's about motherhood. She just had two kids right in a row in 2014, 2015. And it's very vocals forward. I'm usually not a guy that, that likes a lot of heavy vocals, but 
I would highly recommend this. In fact, I think we should give it a listen right now. Beautiful. Joe Shornico. Check it out. The album is called Secret Weapon. Eric, I'd like to know what's good with you. So I want to talk about something that is probably way outside of the norm for most of our listeners. But I, for the last couple of months, have been getting into 3D printing. (laughs) So first of all, maybe just to explain it, because I've met a few people that don't even really know what this is. What 3D printing is, is it's a machine that lays down layers of plastic super thin layers of plastic to build up three-dimensional objects that you can then take off the printer. And I'm using it for various nerd-related hobbies for the most part. But in particular, what I want to mention, if you are interested in 3D printing, is that the Ender 3, E-N-D-E-R 3, which is the printer that I bought, really represents a dramatic shift that's happened just in the last year to really good 3D printers becoming a lot more affordable. And so it's like 200 bucks. And I have been having great fun printing various objects and buildings and things for my kids. They've been really into the Titanic and the Hindenburg disasters. So I printed scale models of those and stuff for around the house. So it's not for everybody. I will say that if you get that kit, you still have to be able to assemble it from a kit. And it takes a little bit of computer competence to learn how to do it and use the software But it's actually pretty doable for a lot of people, and that's a pretty new thing. So if you've ever thought, oh, that would be awesome, but I don't want to spend thousands of dollars to do it, you too can join me in 3D printing for a lot less than you might think. That sounds amazing. It is very cool to watch. It is. It's kind of like magic. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the discussion, there's a few things you can do to help us out. Most importantly, we would love it if you would grab a drink with a friend or two Keep this conversation going. Also, you can let us know what you think. We are on social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, at Faithful Podcast. And just search Simply Faithful on Facebook. You can find us there. You can also go to our website, simplyfaithful.org, to learn a little bit more about us and to listen to more episodes. If you share something on any of those platforms that we find especially helpful or interesting, We might even talk about it in an upcoming episode. We would also appreciate you rating us on your podcast marketplace of choice. And most importantly, if this is a conversation you enjoy, we would love it if you would share this podcast with a friend who might enjoy it too. We're always happy to get more faces around the table. With that said, I am Gray. I'm Eric. And this has been Simply Faithful.